Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Flow Track Podcast. I am Kevin Sully, back from vacation, joined by Gordon Mack. Gordon, thank you so much for holding down the fort along with Travis and Colt. Your pod provided me with a lot of entertainment as I was in, in Hawaii for the past week. So I have two questions for you. You were gone. Sure. You left me alone on the pod. Hopefully I did a good enough job to hold down the fort. But I got two questions for you while you were in Hawaii. What was your high and what was your low? Great question. Man, to pick one? Probably swimming in a green sand beach in Hawaii, which included a three-mile hike in and a three-mile hike out because you really had to want it. You could get on a Jeep. You could pay to have a Jeep drive you on a rocky road three miles in. But I said, you know what? This is going to be much more enjoyable if I go all the way in. So that was the high. The low? The low was probably when you sent me the clip of you and Cathal doing an interview and Cathal had no audio. Not because I thought, hey, I could have fixed that if I was there. Because I couldn't have. My audio expertise is nowhere near the level of producer Colts. But I wanted to be a part of it. And I feel like that is part of show lore now. In the same way you interviewing Kipchoge and him saying he won a marathon on a boat one day. These are just two moments in the show's history that I'm not a part of. And if a Wikipedia page is ever written about this podcast, um, there'll be a separate like Gordon moment section, and that'll be a part of it. So that was probably the thing that, that was my love. Well, I appreciate you uh, still listening to the podcast, even when you're in a weird time zone in Hawaii. So I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Five hours. They don't do. Now, I had a similar struggle like you did with daylight savings. Now, I didn't publicize that to the world like you did, but Hawaii doesn't do it either. So I left four hours. It was four hour difference. Um, like I said, I left on Monday. So it, the clocks didn't change there. So it ended up being the full five, which was an extra hour to adjust. Kind of weird when there's March Madness games on at six in the morning. That'll throw you for a loop <laughs> a little bit. You feel like you're on a different planet. And just in general, when you're not working for a week, you feel a little bit off, but then you're in this place in Hawaii where you know, Ancona is just, some of those places look like Mars with all the, the rock from the volcano and then you're in the jungle. And then I'm, you know, three kids. I'm not dealing with any three kids anymore. I feel like I'm re-entering like the Earth's atmosphere when I come back. It just felt like a completely out-of-body experience. I do have some um, notes and corrections 
um, I listened to all the pods. So I wanted to touch on that. But first, can you give me an update on, on the pick'em? Apparently, only one person beat you at Worlds. So that's surprising. I I would not have guessed that only one person would beat you, especially after I uh, destroyed you on the NCAA picks. Yeah, so there were eleven different picks over the course of three days, and I got I went five for I went five and six. I had five correct, six wrong. So only one person out there got six or more correct of the eleven, which shows you it's hard. It's hard to. I mean, if only one person got got six or more, I think that's a good sign that you know my uh, understanding of people running in circles is on par with the top percentile. I would think, but. The person who was the only one to go six or better, they won the prize. They won a gift card. They won that volleyball uh, set. Mm-hmm. But we're going to keep the prizes going. And um, this week, we're going to be doing a flow track pick'em for Texas Relays. And you and I, we're going to give out a flow track subscription for the month of April, which is important because mm-hmm. April. We got a lot of awesome action. We have the Continental Tour coming in. We have, uh, obviously, Penn Relays. We have Brian Clay, some Fast 1500s, Stanford Invitational. April's jam-packed with some live events. So yeah. you want to win this competition. Because if you do, you can have some great content to watch in April. Yeah. So you can also reach us directly now by texting. And if you're watching the, the video on YouTube, it has the text numbers there. So you can text Gordon or Kevin to 31032 and you can send in questions, comments, just another way to, to interact with the show if you're not on the YouTube comments. So 31032 and call into the show that way as well too. Travis will be monitoring that. We'll see how that goes. And in the future, we may also use those texts to release you know, special offers, merchandise, things of that nature. So basically you and I are just giving away a bunch of stuff to the to the loyal listeners and that that four-way volleyball net saw that at the beach saw that at the beach very popular item there um all right so we'll get into what the texas relays pick is going to be yeah and i gotta update the the ticker below because uh world championships is over now so it's now the texas relays prediction contest to win so we're doing live editing of our ticket what chance to win a flow track subscription? If you listen to this on audio, apologize. Um, but yeah, all right, update our ticker. Got all that out of the way. Should we, what, yeah. should we just tell what the contest? Let's just say what it is now. I know we we're going to wait to the end of the podcast, but you know, let's just let's just say what it is now. So here's the contest: win a subscription uh, for flow track. If you get this one right, you'll be in the running to win one. The question is simple. Yeah. It's one question. Very simple. Who will win the Texas Relays men's four by one? Mm. LSU. That's it. That's all you, you gotta get one. You just gotta get picked the correct team. But there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. You got LSU, you got Houston, you got USC, you got Florida, North Carolina A and T, Texas A and M, and other. Others, all the other teams. Got it. Okay, so put it in there. If you get it right, you'll be in the running for a flow track subscription. And there's a lot of events, as you mentioned, 
especially coming up in April, continental tour wise and in the US as well. So that's how you can enter. Obviously, Texas Relays 4x1. There's a great history there. It's good yeah, to see all the that power LSU, Got the LSU Houston stare down moment that happened. Do you have a pick? Um, okay. So my pick. So obviously, Houston has won recently. LSU had that win over Houston recently. Florida is the collegiate record holder. USC had three guys make the 60 meter final. Yeah. North Carolina A&T has a legit team that with two guys in the 200-meter uh, final at indoors. I think I'm going to go with – you know what? Why not? I'm going to go with Houston. I feel like they're an underdog again. I feel like no one's really talking about them. They have the top – they ran 39 low um, a week ago. Mm-hmm. And Carl Lewis predicted that they're going to run 37.9 this year, which is much faster than the collegiate record. He tweeted it on, on Twitter, uh, I think, in response to Kelvin Sampson's uh, water bath after making the Sweet 16. He quote tweeted it mm-hmm. and just wrote the time 37.9, which makes me think <laughs> if Houston breaks a collegiate record this year, Carl Lewis is going to take mm-hmm. his shirt off and have a Gatorade bath. That's what I'm guessing what's going to happen. <laughs> Samson, of course, the basketball coach at Houston, for those of you who are not uh, basketball fans. I'm going to go USC for the reason you mentioned. They're on a roll right now. And I guess you could say they have a – you could go the opposite direction. Houston, Houston didn't get anybody, sprinter-wise, into the indoor meet. USC got three guys into the 60-meter final. Devontae Burnett won it all. So I will go with USC. But you're absolutely right. This could go a lot of different ways early on in the season. Of course, it's a four-by-one. It's completely unpredictable. But people want to run fast at at Texas Relays. You know when you go to Texas Relays, it's going to be a battle in the the four-by-one, in the four-by-four. So... I think it'll be a great race. I'm excited to watch it. But I will go with USC. So make your pick. Again, if you get it, you're entered to win a FlowTrack subscription. What did I miss when I was gone? Let me run through some of the things that are written down here. What did I miss? Uh, Josh Kerr called 1,500-meter runners in the U.S. soft again. I like that. Good interview with with Josh Kerr. Um, As I said, I listened to everything. I listened to everything in... 1.5 1.5 speed though, because um, other than the cat, you know, I saw the cathode clip. I saw a couple clips here and there, but I really wanted to make sure I was paying attention. So it's kind of weird to hear you at one X this morning. I feel like you need to talk a little bit faster. So the current interview was great. Uh, you pissed off the internet apparently with your 60 meter final photo finish breakdown where you said that Coleman actually beat Marcel Jacobs. To me, just as you started talking, I thought, all right, what's the evidence going to be? And I just thought it was really funny that there was a race that was decided by three one thousandths. And you're like, hold on a second, zoom in on this grainy photo, and I'll be able to tell the difference between three one thousandths of a second. <laughs> that was well done. I, I, I disagreed uh, with you. I thought the line, that first place line, was touching both of those guys' chests first. 
because again, it's three one thousandths of a second. So tough to decipher the winner there. Oh, Newbury Park versus on at Penn Relays. I think that's pretty cool. I also think it's kind of a cool connection that it's Ritz's group and everybody was comparing Ritz to the Newbury Park, I don't know, duo, trio, quartet, whatever in cross country of, oh, was this the best, like specifically Colin Salman, was this the best uh, cross country season ever? So I think it's just interesting that it's gone full circle and now it's, it's Ritz's group. Obviously, I think on is the big favorite, but it's fun to see them there. And then the other one, oh, we pick names out of a bag to decide who will make the finals. Yeah, in that uh, in the hurdles, right? Tied in the semis, so they pick the names out of the bag to decide who advanced. So Josh Kerr had an interesting idea when he talked about reaction time, and you go with who has like the worst reaction time. I don't think that's a good idea because then you're just rewarding somebody for being bad at a part of a race. I don't think that is the best way to do it. But then he also said, just let both of them into the final and then have them have their own final, like those two separate. Or could you have just done a runoff? Could you just squeezed in one extra race? I know it would have made them tired for the final, but all right, whatever. At least you give them a chance to do it. Drawing names out of a bag, though it was dramatic, I don't think is the best way to decide this. Yeah, I think the, the moral of the story is you should only have a track meet that has a tiebreaker lane, aka a ninth lane. Oh, yeah. Or tiebreakers. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you brought up a good point about that. They could have yeah. built one. They could have gotten some Kate, some what a, trainer tape. That's what they do at BU. BU doesn't have actually painted lines on the indoor of their track. They just take yeah. tape and they make their own little lanes. So they could have just added a ninth lane on the edge. But anyway. Mm -hmm. uh someone commented on the 60 video with coleman that said man you crazy but your analysis is reasonable kind of reminds me of that quote from old school i like you man but you're crazy <laughs> I, don't, I don't when you started it with okay this is gonna get a little weird i knew that we were in for for a treat all right, I wrote down some other things because I listened to all of it. Um, I have some corrections, basically things that I would have interjected with if I was on the pod, all right? So some of these are small. Some of these are big. Some of these are just great Gordonisms and then notes. So uh, number one, you said Caitlin Tui's I didn't know I was going to get was... like – I didn't know I was going to get analyzed here. It's like I feel like um, this is a therapy session for me on my podcasting skills. Going to get a letter grade after no, this, I just... it seems. Letter grade was good. Cool. The let, I mean, he did it by himself, except for the Josh Kerr podcast. So I the, agree. It was great. It's hard. It, yeah, it, it's hard to do 90 minutes. It's hard to do 15 minutes of a podcast by yourself. So letter grade's an A. But I'm just – I'm adding these, Gordon, after the fact so people don't think we missed it because I caught Got it. it. I caught it. Okay, let me go through this. Uh, you said Caitlin Tui's coach is Ellie Hennis. It's actually Lori Hennis. Ellie Hennis is Lori's daughter, who is a former NCAA champion at NC State. I said that. Yeah. Um, Runner-up in the hurdles for North Carolina A&T, Leonard Mastari. I don't know how you pronounced his name, but it, you did not say Leonard Mastari. You made it a little more complicated than it needed to be. You had a good bit on daylight savings, which I thought was was fun. I liked when you just deviated from the the rundown and just said – What's the deal with airline food? You also did one on hotel Wi-Fi, 
You're like, why is hotel Wi-Fi? Why are there two different prices? Uh, I thought that was good. Um, you said Kambunji is like a consummate fifth, sixth, seventh person. She got a bronze at the World Championships in the 200. She has finished in that range, the five, six, seven, eight range, often too. But she did have a bronze. What what year uh, was that 200? What year was that 200? 2019. 2019. Was that? Uh, yeah. Well, didn't all the best women scratch that year? Was that yeah, like... but she still got a bronze. You, she okay. still got a bronze two world championships ago. I'm just saying this is something I would have brought up if I was on the podcast. Um, because I don't want people to think that we missed it. You didn't Sometimes know. Sometimes 200 meter 200 meter medals are a little bit like indoor indoor medals. They don't really count because a lot of okay. times the best sprinters all scratch at 200. You got to say it like Josh Kerr said: a lesser medal, a lesser medal, lesser still a medal, medal yeah. but a lesser medal. You didn't know the word snag, but luckily Colt was there to help you out. And the way you prompted him was, it's a word that starts with S. And Colt yeah, was, was just Johnny on the spot. That was good. Also, Colt, Colt needed his mic on more. Uh, just a, That's just a production note. I think Alan Hornage's voice during the snag moment. Um, there's no music in the beginning, which I realize is my fault. Uh, so I need to fix that. because we That got is like, on like you, 15. Kevin. Yeah, that is on you. Yeah, yeah. So I, a note for myself. Again, this is not just all about things that you guys uh, did wrong. Um, you said you compared something to Harry Potter and I laughed. I don't remember what it was at this point, but I wrote down, it's like Harry Potter. Um, in terms of bad picks, you picked against Ajay Wilson to medal even after the opening round. And we knew Keely Hodgkinson was out, which I would have lost my mind. Now you can say, Kevin, you're being revisionist because you won the gold going away. Why did you do that? But I mean, at the time, I definitely would have picked her at least for, for a medal. And then here's one. This is not your fault. This is not your fault. Because I'm still a bit confused about it. But you mentioned Devontae Burnett in your NCAA recap and his chances at USA's. He ran in the Jamaican trials last year. Now, he's listed on World Athletics as U.S., but if you look on, like, Tila Stapaya, which is a stats database, it says he had a transfer of allegiance to Jamaica. Um, he, according to his profile on USC's website, his, his mother was born in Haiti. His father was Jamaican. He was born in Massachusetts, but he lived in Jamaica for two years growing up. But, yeah, he ran for NAC, in NACAC championships for Jamaica, and then he ran in the Jamaican championships last year. So I just don't, I don't know. On that one, because yeah, in World Athletics, probably listed as U.S. Yeah, I, I would assume probably they just haven't. Now. Yeah, I'm assuming they haven't updated it. But I don't, I don't knock you for that one. Um, oh, and speaking of uh, allegiances that we've got mixed up, you didn't tell the story in the pod, but our colleague Brian, who famously took Charles Hicks's uh, Strava segment in Fayetteville, said that you told Hicks that Brian took his segment. Is that true? Yeah, we were sitting in the airport and eating a bagel, and the Stanford team was next to us. And I said, yo, Brian, that's Charles. You should tell him about your Strava segment victory. He's like, no, Gordon. He's like, no, just go up there and tell him. Was, he's like, no. I was like, all right, I'll go. So I got up, and I said, yo, my boy Brian just beat your Strava segment from 2020. And then they were trying to recollect when that happened. Um, yeah. And he figured out they were doing like a post-race workout his freshman year after like a track meet in Fayetteville, mm. which is what why it ran so fast. So, 
Yeah. Okay. But then we open up conversation and we're having a good old good old time waiting for our, our flights. Good. Good. Did you did you wish him good luck at the US Olympic trials this year? I did not. I don't know Next if he time. knows that that was uh, a thing world that I done. World champ trust. Yeah. Um, but that was pretty much it. I don't have anything else written down. Um, Travis wants to know, Kevin, are you sad that the podcast was still successful without you and Car- Gordon cared all by himself? No, I was, I was happy he did it. I just thought it was interesting that you went solo all those days. Like, that's difficult to do. Now, I want to ask you this. Was it easier because it was just recapping a, a meet that was fresh in your mind? Because I feel like it would be hard if you had six news items to get through. But w- was it easier because you had results? Yeah. I mean, I was reacting to NCAAs and world championships. There's a lot to talk about, you know? So that's what makes it easy. There's just so much to talk about. So, Yeah. I got lucky. If it was like middle of 2020 and we're trying to do a podcast a day by myself about no yeah. track, I'm going to have a lot. I'm going to be doing the Mount Rushmore of Akron's <laughs> cross country team. Like that's what I'm going to be doing. So, uh, well, I remember the one time yeah. I started it solo. I started it solo one time when you were late. This was early on, maybe early 2021 or mid 2020. And it was a day where it was just like news stuff. And I was like, all right, let's see what we got here, guys. So there's new standards released. I'm going to read them. It was rough. It, it, was, very, it was very difficult to, to do, but I commend you for it. Um, yeah, you also called Mark Florenti's steeple record soft, basically. I think you channeled, channeled Josh Kerr there. That was, a, that was a good moment. I remember that one. Um, all right. So... Let's get into, I want to talk about worlds again, but before we do that, um, well, actually let's just, let's jump into that. Let's jump into that. So I, I have some stuff here about what mattered and what didn't matter um, at world indoors, like some results that happened at world indoors. Um, first of all, Jakob Ingebrigtsen losing. Do you think ultimately that matters or doesn't? Like on, on all these, I just want to know, do you think it matters towards the outdoor season or is it just a brief moment in time that happened and we'll look back on it as, all right, that was an interesting result, but it didn't ultimately influence the season. So I got a couple of them here that I want to ask you about. So one of them is uh, Jakob losing to, to Farah. Do you think that matters in the long run or doesn't matter? Um, I think it doesn't matter because a 1500 1500- it's just weird, especially indoors, like positioning can happen. And, you know, it's a March race when you really look at it. But it does matter, as Josh Kerr mentioned, to the competition because now Jakob's going to be pissed, right? And now he's mm-hmm. he's not going to let this happen again. So it doesn't matter because I don't think it shows any sign of like Jakob is showing weakness. I think... Mm-hmm. Jakob is just showing, hey, he, he wasn't planning on going undefeated for four years in a row. Like, that just doesn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. I look at more of it as just a blip than a, a trend. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree with you. Number one, we found out afterwards he had COVID. He said he was feeling funny after the race. So you don't know how much that impacted his race. But two, 
there was this narrative that coalesced around Jakob that he was just inevitable. That he had this this years-long win streak and he was never going to lose. I mean, last year he got third in Monaco, right? He lost in the Diamond League final at Zurich. He had a great season last year, don't get me wrong. Ripped that crazy 5,000, ran really well indoors, and then won the Olympic title. But the idea that he was just winning, you know, have had this huge win streak was just, I think, us projecting what we thought he would be like in the future. So I think from that perspective, it ultimately does not matter too much that he lost. I do think, yeah, obviously Tefera puts himself in, in a good position. Maybe we, we consider him more of a serious threat like we do with Timothy Chariot. But ultimately, I think it wasn't as shocking as a loss when you look at Jakob's last couple of years and the fact that he was, you know, out there vulnerable. He was trying to push the pace. All right, let's go to another one here. Grant Holloway winning gold. Grant Holloway winning gold. Matter? Doesn't matter. That also doesn't matter. Because, um, like, it doesn't matter in the fact of that he's like, yeah, like, it would have mattered if he lost. But him winning, it doesn't matter. Because, one, like I said in the podcast, they need to rename the 60-meter hurdles the Grant Holloways because he's mm -hmm. won, like, 57 races in a row. It's unreal. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think this success in this, his indoor season success um, is any, like, sign of, like, uh-oh, watch out. Like, he could have done – he could have taken this entire indoor season off mm -hmm. and have this entire – like, if he would have taken this entire season indoor off or had the season he just had – I would have the exact same expectation of him outdoor season. So mm -hmm. there really was nothing he changed about the expectation of himself going in outdoors. The expectation is he's going to flirt with the world record and he's going to be the heavy favorite in Eugene. Like that's the mm -hmm. expectation. And this win just reaffirms that exact expectation. So it really doesn't matter. If you look at outdoor championships, Olympics and world championships as all the same, which track fans do because we know everybody goes all in on worlds. Everybody goes all in Olympics outside of the track world. Everybody just really pays attention to Olympics and then it drops off. It, but if you think that world championships equals Olympics, then yeah, the race that really matters is at the world championships because he lost at the Olympics and he's trying to get the title again. But I could see another perspective too, where you're like, Hey, he already has a world championship title. The real thing that matters is that Olympic title, which he didn't win, got upset in the final against Hansel Parchment. And then you'd say, hey, we're just looking for 2024. But I'm not going to go that far. I think outdoors world championships matter. World record, obviously, is another thing he needs to check off his to-do list. But he ran great, obviously, prelim time, PR time them time world record time for grant holloway but but i agree with you it's like it's only a story he's so good it's only a story if he loses at the indoors at this point or if he you know breaks his world record by some ungodly margin indoors but but him winning ultimately i think it's all about outdoors for him at this point what would happen 
what would be your perspective if Grant goes on to break the world record outdoors four times in his career? So you like PRs four times. He breaks the world record and then yeah. PRs three more times. He also wins in 2022. He wins in 2023. He gets hurt in 2024, so doesn't compete. Wins in 2025. Wins yeah. in 2027. And then gets second in 2028. So he will have all these gold medals, but never an Olympic gold. Would that be like the weirdest, greatest athlete of all time? Well, like, what you described was was Felix for a while in the 200, right? She was winning all the the world titles and then didn't have an Olympic title. And that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between how track fans view it and how people outside the immediate track community see it. I see those things as equal. Like when I look at a person's career, I don't give extra points for Olympic gold versus world championship gold. But athletes... I think obviously care. They want to be able to say Olympic champion. There's obviously a financial boost that comes with being an Olympic champion. That would be strange. Could I see something like that happening? Absolutely. Because every championship is its own, is its own beast. I just think for him that, I mean, breaking the world record multiple times and you're talking about multiple gold medals, he's going to be in the greatest of all time conversation probably would be considered the greatest hurdler of all time regardless of him not getting the Olympic gold. Do you, do you view Olympic golds differently? No, I don't. But it would just be yeah. kind of weird or, like, interesting, the fact that, like, the greatest to ever do it never got to win on the Olympics. And it's basically because of the way Olympics is. It's every four years. And if a career, mm -hmm. typically yeah. you only really have two Olympics in your prime, right? And then maybe two yeah. other Olympics on the tertiary. And if during your prime, one, you get upset and the other one, you just happen to have a little injury or whatever, it's like, it makes it like, well, I was good for 12 years and 10 of them, I was amazing. Yeah. And two of them, I just had a bad day, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's different because we talk about all the time, like who's the greatest athlete to never like make an Olympic team in the U.S. I think it's different when you talk about making teams versus medals. Because if you said, well, he never even made an Olympic team, that's different. But to get us to have a silver, if you end your career with four golds, two silvers, and the four golds are in the Olympics and the two silvers are in the world championships, I think most track people are just going to look at that, that total number and they're not going to differentiate between gold and silver. Again, I think athletes want it because they want to be able to say, because you hear this all the time and you sometimes forget, like someone will win two Olympic golds but not have a world championship gold. And then they'll win a world championship gold and they'll say, finally, I got my world championship gold. And you're like, wait a minute. And you go back and like, look at, look at their Wikipedia and you're like, oh, they didn't win a world championship. Okay. Well, I guess that's important. I just, they all blend together. To me. If it's outdoors, they all blend together to me. Also, Grant might have the best profile picture on world athletics. That is amazing. <laughs> I'm just seeing this now for the first time. If you're listening and not watching, Google Grant Holly's world athletics profile. His, his picture is, is phenomenal. Well done, Grant. Uh, you're the first person to have like a, a truly unique it kinda, picture. It looks like, like, it looks like he's like shocked that they're taking a photo of him. Like, oh, oh shoot, <laughs> the camera's here. Like they're, they're taking a picture of me. It's kind yeah, of sh shaved head. That's when he, that's when he breaks his records too with a shaved head. He, uh, I think it's interesting too. 
the whole idea of people asking about this in the mix zone, the approach when you run really fast in the semis and having to come back in the final, because that reminded me of Eugene in the trials. He goes 1281 and then he has to come back in the final. And remember Mike Holloway was right at the finish line after that semi telling him like, calm down. Like you still got another race to run. He kind of does something similar here where he equals the world record and then has to come back a few hours later. That's a, that's tough to do, but at the same time, I don't think you want to flip that, that switch off. Um, so I, yeah, I'm excited to see Grant outdoors, obviously. All right, here's my next one. Munjinga Kambunji winning. And let me make the argument of why this matters. Okay, it's an indoor 60. I know the 60 is not run during the outdoor season. We have a long list of people who have been indoor all-stars that don't materialize outdoors. But I mentioned this earlier. Kambunji's one global individual medal comes in the 200, Gordon, not the 100. So she's going way down in distance, and she's able to win a gold. She's able to beat Ava Swoboda. She's able to beat the two Americans. But the time is really what caught my attention here. She goes 6.96. That's faster than Shelly Ann Fraser-Price ever ran. That's faster than Elaine Thompson. Hurrah ever ran as well too. We look at seven seconds as a very significant barrier. So the fact that she's a really strong 200 meter runner combined with this new 60 PB, I think is a really good sign for her indoors. I wanna see it in a hundred. I wanna see how it, how it shakes out, but I think she could enter that group of people. Now, if Thompson Hurrah is running Thompson Hurrah times from last year and Shelly Ann's running the times that she ran last year, it's gonna be tough. But I, I just think if you run that fast indoors and you are more of a 200 runner than a 100 runner, like she's going to have a, a big 100-meter PB on the horizon. I don't want to – I'm going to also – I disagree with you. You keep on bringing up her 200-meter bronze. You look at that race. Dina Asher Smith won that race, 21.88. Second place was Brittany Brown, who ran 22.22. Third place was – and Bungie, who ran 22.51 for third. Yeah. She beat Desiree Bryant, Tiana Gaither, Collio, Angie Anellis, and Gina Bass. Like, that 200-meter race is not indicative of the best 200-meter women in the world. There was really only one legit... 200 meter woman in that race, and it was Dean Asher Smith, and she blew away everyone else by like a half a second. So, all right, well, then let's just look at last year. Let's look at last year. I don't look at her as a good 200 meter runner. She's, she's, let's look at her. PB in the 200 is 22 26. We just had six Abby Steiner run faster than that on an indoor track. So, she was sixth at the Olympics in the 100. Let's just go last year then, because you'll agree people were good last year, right? Yeah, people were good last year. Okay, six, six in the 100, seventh in the 200. And now she's running 696. Her 100 meter PB is only 1094. Again, you can't draw a straight line sometimes from 60 to 100, but 696 is just going to equate to a much better mark than that outdoors. I just think that the women's sprinting landscape 
has changed dramatically with uh, obviously with the two Jamaicans, with uh, Shikari, with the um, what's her name? Uh, oh, my, someone just rang my doorbell. Hold on, I'll hold that thought. You carry that thought. I just think the two hundred meter. Uh, I just think the the depth in the women's world elite sprinting is so good that it's going to take more than running six nine. 60s to really for me to step you into that next tier in my opinion i gotta go get the doorbell right. hold on gordon's gonna answer the door he doesn't think anything was was impressive here so so far he thinks holly winning doesn't matter Jakob losing doesn't matter Cambunji winning doesn't matter lamont marcel jacobs how about that one lamont marcel jacobs winning i think it matters now gordon wants to look at the finish photo and zoom in and decide that the pixels on his computer are more advanced than the timing technology. He can really see the difference between three one thousandths. I said before the race, actually before the meet, mid-season, I said Coleman versus Jacobs is going to matter. So whatever the result was, I think was significant. Jacobs ends up getting the victory. I think, again, you can't call it a fluke. He wins the 100. The race is missing Coleman. Okay, that's fine. Coleman is even better in the 60 than the 100. If you just look historically at, at his marks there, world record uh, holder, owner of the best times in history, and he beats him there too. So I think Jacobs, when I'm thinking about putting my rankings together, I think right now you'd have to have Lamont Marcel Jacobs number one. Um, I want to talk about Coleman in a second too, but Gordon, what I mean, do you think Lamont Marcel Jacobs should be number one in the 100 meter rankings right now because that's where 100 percent, yes 100 percent, yes no if and this is coming from the person who just said a whole bit that i think coleman won the race but i 100 percent think marcel <laughs> jacobs is the favorite of 2022 outdoors 100 i think jacobs won the race i think coleman i mean it's like 51 49 right now because those guys were separated by three one thousandths of a second. So he's not a huge favorite to win at this point. But he was closing on Coleman. Coleman's a great starter. So you figure the 100 would play more to Jacobs' advantage. This is really simple. Like We don't need to overcomplicate these things. Do results matter or don't they? If they matter, then you have to have Jacobs number one. If they don't, and you're just going off of some subjective viewpoint of how things will happen in the future then then you could put coleman number one but right now the argument is clearly in favor of jacobs now to get to coleman here's the interesting thing about christian coleman especially as it pertains to the 60 he is no stranger to running against people who can do 6-4 when he ran his world record 634 in Albuquerque, Ronnie Baker ran 6.40. At the World Indoor Championships that year in Birmingham, he goes 6.37. Bing Tian Su of China goes 6.42. So he beat a guy who ran 6.40, and he beat a guy who ran 6.42 by posting these sub 6.4 times. Jacobs goes 6.41. Coleman, though, still in the 6.4s. 
So what I'm wondering as it pertains to Coleman, is this just rust coming back from not racing because of the suspension? I don't know. I mean, indoor season, everybody has a short indoor season. Everybody's coming off a break. I don't know how much that impacted him. Is it that? Is it he just had an off race? Or is it just difficult to maintain sub six fours? And now he's going to be a six four low guy instead of a six three guy. I don't know the answer to that question. You could make strong arguments for all three of those. Um, I tend to lean towards it's a short race. Maybe he made a tiny mistake, an error here or there, and we're dealing with such small margins that he could have easily been a six six three guy. But Jacob surprised me that he got his PB down that low, but I guess I should not have been that surprised because we have non-Coleman guys in the very recent future who have run that quick. Coleman's just been able to outdo them, and he couldn't in, in Serbia. Yeah, I mean, you're doing this whole segment of what matter, does it matter, does it not matter? And my answer is always going to be it doesn't matter, mainly because it's world indoors. The only result that mattered to me was this one. It was the only race that mattered. All the other races yeah. have reasons to put asterisks, whether it's the field depth, where it's the fact that it's indoors and not outdoors, all these yeah. unique circumstances. But that 60 was a legitimate mattering race. And I thought, well, I feel like they virtually tied. A win is a win, and it matters now. Marcel Jacobs yeah. has been able to turn his you know, naysayers calling a fluke Olympic title into a standard. And now you know it's 100% legit. And I think that... Hey, he's the favorite. Mm -hmm. I have no problem saying that. All right. I'll zoom through these last couple. U.S. getting no medals in the 4x4 doesn't matter. Just want to get a – well, I was going to say get ahead of that one, but it's been a few days. If anybody's making that argument about how this represents the decline of U.S. 4x4 running, no, you are wrong. It does not matter ultimately. And then these field event results. I mean, you have Krauser losing, and then you have Rojas and Duplantis breaking world records. I think if you look at them in totality, they matter because all three have been dominant, but the Krauser loss shows that it's not a guarantee, even when you get into a championship setting, which just makes you appreciate and are impressed by how good Krauser and Rojas have been, in addition to uh Duplant or sorry, how how good Duplantis and Rojas have been. And just Rojas is getting to a point, her level of dominance is just nuts that every time she does break a world record, it, it just matters because it's it's that she's just breaking new ground every time she goes out there and jumps. So I think all three of those field event results did matter. Now, with Krauser, am I putting him number two behind Darlin Romani? No, I'm not. Um, because that's a completely different situation than Coleman and, and Jacobs because we've seen what Krauser's done 2020 and 2021. But I, but I thought those field events results did matter. Yeah, I mean, I kind of disagree with you, Holt. Like, for some reason now, whenever either of those three break a world record, it actually is becoming less impressive, which is a weird thing to say because they've normalized <laughs> their greatness where it feels normal for them to break world records. They're, like, making historic moments seem inevitable, which is, like, you know, it's weird. Well, here's the thing. There's, there's a certain there's certain athletes in 
all sports where like they normalize such rare feats where we just aren't able to appreciate it. You know, like, I don't think it's normal. I think people have like appreciated how good Tom Brady is at his age. I'm not even a Tom Brady fan. Right. But that's not normal to be one of the top quarterbacks in a game with a bunch of young 20 year olds and doing it in an age 40 plus. And I also think it's not normal for you to go out there and your baseline is within centimeters of the greatest to ever do it in the history of the sport. You know, that's just like crazy that Krauser, Rojas, and Duplantis's standard is within, you know, within all time of the history of the thousand years of our sport. I don't even know how long our sport is, but probably not a thousand years, but you get the idea. <laughs> thousand years. I like it. But here's where it's different. Duplantis is chasing Bubka. So I do think every time he breaks a world record and puts another one up there, that matters. And what Rojas is doing is just the margin with which she's breaking it by is just obscene. And I think Krauser's loss speaks to how hard that is. And that's why I think it almost lends a little more credence to it. Hey, because, you know, it's different. Like field events are different than running attempts, running events, not attempts. You know, you get multiple attempts at it. It's, it's different in its own way. And you think, all right, well, Krauser's going to get at least one out there that, that can beat this guy. But you know, Romani has an amazing day. Krauser's slightly off. He says preparation was not great. He said the de- time between throws impacted him. So it's just, it's hard to win these competitions even among, among the very best. So that's why I thought those, those three mattered. But um, you know what else is mattering on the jump side of things? This new jumping rule. Uh, came into effect for 2020, but I don't remember this many complaints about it until the World Indoor Championships. And you knew there was just going to be some sort of controversy because there wasn't a ton of DQs. People, for the most part, Gordon stayed in their lanes this year. This was not the DQ Fest of 2018 that I know you witnessed in person. So let me just quote from the World Athletics release when this came out. It says, under the new technical rule, it will be a failure on takeoff if any part of the takeoff shoe or foot breaks the vertical plane of the takeoff line. It was felt that this would be more understandable and simpler to judge. So what you have is, in layman's terms, basically someone's foot behind the mark, but as they roll up on their toe to take off, a portion of their foot crosses the vertical plane and it is being ruled a foul. Now, if you are, I don't even know if you could say a casual fan of track and field, you could be a serious fan of track and field and not have known this rule and basically said, no, no, you look at where the foot plants and if it's not over the board, you are good to go. But now they're judging the vertical plane. I don't understand the second part of that sentence where it says this makes it simpler to judge. I don't know how anybody could look at this and say this makes it easier. This clearly makes it more difficult because you're judging things on a vertical plane. What do you think about this rule? Well, my thing is like, I guess this would be like, you know those like 
They're like these shoes that have like a curl. They like curl up. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. alligator type yeah. shoes and like the tips curl up. If someone were to be yeah. playing a basketball game and they're standing next to the three point line and they, the toes curl up. So technically their foot isn't touching the line, yeah. but the, it's above the line, but it's not touching the actual line. What is that technically across the line? I don't know. Like, does vertical plane need to? Ex- I see no, the reasoning because, but it also just doesn't make sense. It's like we're overcomplicating it here. Yeah, you know, it's just. I Here's know. a quote from Carl Lewis on Twitter: "The Rules Committee for the IWF has destroyed the field events. They are an embarrassment to this and any sport. They have no." F, pound sign, pound sign, percentage sign, ampersand, clue about any of these events. This makes no sense. And we went down this road in the 1980s. Who brings these ideas up in the first place? Tim Hutchings, the commentator, had a good tweet about it as well, breaking it down. Yeah, I think it's just incredibly confusing to people. And we have a lot of technology to measure, like fouls, and this makes it really difficult to do like you could you know have a a, you know a board that's pressure sensitive right and could tell you hey was this person what spot was this person on when they took off i mean everybody has different jumping styles as well so i can imagine some some people can get all of the board right can can take off perfectly but just the way their foot placement is is going to be flagged or fouls. I mean, there were consequential jumps. There were medal-winning jumps in this competition that were called back because of this. Uh, I think it's not the right move. I think they should. I think there's going to be a situation too to where, where your foot's going to. Cr- there's going to be a situation where your foot crosses the vertical plane, but the bottom of your foot has left the ground, but you can't tell yet. So technically. You're off the ground now, so you're allowed to cross the vertical plane because you're now in the air, but maybe your yeah. foot still looks like it's touching the ground. So they're going to be like, oh, foul, because you're crossing the vertical plane. It's like, yes. Well, now yes. you're going to have to have the yes. debate whether or not your foot's off the air or not. Exactly. So now you have to look at two things. Is your foot off the air and did it cross the vertical plane? I mean, this reminds me of the NFL catch rules a few years ago where it's like, all right, Seven things need to be happening, Bill, for this to be a catch. He needs to have the ball, makes a football movement, two feet need to be, and it's just like, let's just simplify this. And this is this is easier to understand, this should be, than a catch, right? Like the, what we're putting yeah, up right now. Let's zoom in on that, that right, let's zoom in, zoom in on the right photo, if you can. That is a clean jump. That so is a this clean was, jump. That is a perfect jump. So this was deemed not clean, right? It's a foul. Yeah, okay. So if we zoom in, zoom in more on the right foot. Enhance. We need more enhancement on the right foot. Enhance, enhance. Okay. Uh-oh. So they're Lord saying... Like, this proves that Coleman... Okay, here we go. Enhance. So they're saying that the tip of the toe crossed the vertical plane. But I'm saying, hey, yes. they're off the ground. So they're in the air. So this isn't a foul. How do you know that their foot is still touching the white plate? You can't tell that. There looks like there's separation between the bottom of the foot and the ground. You got to cross the vertical plane eventually if you're going to long jump, right? This isn't high yeah. jump. This is, this is horizontal jump. So you got to go across the vertical plane eventually. 
And well, people are going to be jumping 10 centimeters back of the board, just terrified to foul now. And, and the marks are going to suffer because of it. This is not good. They, sh they don't need to make this more complicated. I feel like the jumps, man, like the three to the three, the elimination rules last year in the Diamond League, too. They are always changing the jump rules. I will say that. They're making things uh, quite complicated for them. Um, all right. But again, I mean, no, uh, not, I mean, were there any out of, you know, running out of lane infringement DQs? I mean, I know there had to have been at least one, but was there anything I don't know. of that I wasn't nature at Worlds? Track as much. I wasn't keeping but track I'm saying, of that and, the way I did in 2018. There was no controversy about it, is what I'm saying. There Correct, wasn't yeah. a race where six people got DQ'd or, or whatever. DQ'd, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. That part that part was better. I guess the big officiating controversy happened at NCAA's with that men's sixty. That was the one where people got to argue about the officiating. Okay. What else do we got? Oh, Allison Felix racing the pen relays, Gordon. See this? Yeah, Allison Felix uh making running the three hundred. At the uh, the Penn Relays, making her return, uh, pretty cool to see some of the top pro athletes slowly trickling into the Penn Relays. Uh, exciting to see who else shows up. Um, but hey, getting uh, Allison Felix to the Penn Relays, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, she hasn't run the three hundred much. I think she, has she ever run an outdoor three hundred ever? I believe no. She's run an indoor three hundred in the year. Of 2007. Very long time ago. Do you know what was popular in 2007? Mm. I don't know. What? Okay. What was popular in 2007? What was like the hit, number one hit? What was the number one hit song in 2007 when Allison Felix was running 300s on the indoor track? 2007 um, top song was Rihanna Umbrella, Soldier Boy. Fallout Boy, Maroon Five makes me wonder. Timberland, the way I are. Avril Lavigne, girlfriend. Okay, now you're getting into some older stuff. But when you started with Rihanna, I was like, well, maybe it wasn't that long ago. Like, no, Umbrella's an old song like that. I know, but it doesn't song. seem that long. Uh, All-time mark held by Shawnee Melaweibo, thirty-four, forty-one. I mean, anything sub thirty-six gets her into elite company. Coming off of a Bronze medal in the 400 at the Olympics. I mean, this is a like wheelhouse. It's kind of surprising she's never run it. Now, obviously, it's not a frequently contested distance, but you know, halfway between the four and the two, there were many years there where she was deciding four two in that that Olympic year in 2012. She went two one, but this is a good distance for her. So I'm excited to see it. Um, after the Olympics last year, getting that getting that bronze medal, so obviously still one of the best in the world. So she'll be at the Penn Relays. We had all those colleges announcing, and now we're getting individual athletes being announced. Of course, that meet's going to be live on FlowTrack at the end of April. Gordon and I will be there in attendance. All right, let's get the over-under now. Over-under 35.7. 35.7. Thirty-five-seven. Okay, so that's a. See, I thought you were gonna say thirty-six. All right, thirty-five. I'll go point eight. Thirty-five point eight. I'll go. I'll go over. I got thirty. 
I got 35.96 is what I'll go with. Actually, you know what? Hold on. No, I'm going to go faster. I'm looking at this list. I'm looking at this list. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm looking at the list too. Yeah, I'm going to go under. Sorry. 35. Six. Four. She's better than Leah Sprunger. Come on, right? Yeah. I, well, yeah, I know. That's it. Well, when when did Sprunger do that? Was that re? That had to I mean, she's. I don't know. Current athlete. Okay, yeah, I'll go thirty-five-six. More thirty-five-six. Also, all-time name, Chandra Cheeseboro. That's a great name. Great name, Cheeseboro. Yeah, historic name in uh, in track and field. All right, so again. Ten relays, end of the month. We got uh, coming out this weekend. Texas relays, Raleigh relays, FSU relays. Um, once again, Gordon, read the uh, tell people what they need to do for pick'em. Yeah. So once again, uh, we are going to be giving away a free subscription, um, basically throughout all of the years, right? So this is always going to be a, we're going to do a contest every week, and this week's prize is a free subscription. We're going to have a free subscription probably in most of our prizes. So basically, if you keep winning these contests, you're probably going to be able to watch FlowTrack for free for the rest of your life if you're Forever. good at picking your, your, your winners. And this contest, very simple. One question, one result. You have one answer. It's who will win the men's 4 by one relay at the Texas Relays this weekend. The race goes down on Saturday, I think around 1 o'clock. So you got to get your pick in before Saturday at 1. Give you a lot of options. You got to pick one. Is it going to be LSU, Houston, USC, Florida, North Carolina, A&T, Texas A&M, or other? I'm going with Houston. You're going with USC. Mm -hmm. Are you guys going to agree with one of us? Are you going to try to zig while we're zagging? It's up to you. Again, if you get it right, you're in the running to win a subscription to watch all of our live events in April for free. And April is a stacked uh, month. As we show up the calendar right now, we got the Mike Finelli Track Classic in April, Stanford Invite, the West Coast Relays, Paris Marathon, Continental Tour in uh, Devonshire, Bermuda. That's the Bermuda Games with Shakari Richardson and all the greats. Rotterdam Marathon, Brian Clay Invite. You're getting some fast 1500s. Bison Outdoor Classic, the Golden Games. We have the Boston Marathon, uh, Penn Relays, Peyton Jordan, the Big Meet, which is Cal versus Stanford. We got Triathlon Cup. It's April's pretty gonna be pretty cool for uh, FlowTrack, so it's worth it. And if you don't win, sign up anyway, and you get to watch it as well. So you can win. I think that's the moral Easy. of the story. I mean, the fact that only one you of you win. guys beat Gordon in World Championships just makes me really pessimistic about what's going on uh, <laughs> with the listeners here. Uh, and if you are listening and not watching, you know, find it on YouTube. You can see all the, the info there. All right, that's it for the pod covered it all uh subscribe to the flow track podcast youtube channel on the flow track youtube channel do the pick them become a member send us an email send us a text what's the number three one zero three two is that right three one zero three two text gordon text kevin um and we'll talk to you guys on friday more more previews of, of what's to come on friday thanks to colt thanks to travis we'll talk to you guys then